The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. You know, a mentor not only gives you advice and instruction, but a mentor also gives you an example to follow. Many people followed the Apostle Paul, but in recent days, his popularity has not really been quite what it was. Timothy hangs on to Paul's teaching, and he looks to him as an example of how to follow Jesus. Paul's concern is how followers of Jesus are going to continue to have the strength to endure increasing suffering for the cause of Christ. He's concerned with how people live true biblical faith. It's Timothy's job as a leader to teach other people how to do this. So Paul needs to make sure that Timothy understands why he's in the role that he's in. Paul thinks back to how quickly so many people have abandoned him who were formerly committed to following Jesus. His heart sinks as he begins to think of names that come to mind and situations. And then his heart turned towards Timothy He thinks and says, he needs to get this. Timothy needs to understand who he has to be in order to lead the next generation through the persecution ahead. Timothy needs to be aware of what's coming so he's not caught off guard, so he's not discouraged. So Paul, again, picks up his quill, begins to write 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, Timothy, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people who creep into, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, So these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to everyone, as was that of those two men. As followers of Jesus Christ, our walk has to line up with our talk. It has to. If we're going to genuinely follow Jesus and abandon everything and call ourselves Christians, our walk and talk have to line up. It can't be separate. I've heard someone say this before, and I believe that it's true, that back in the early church days, in the book of Acts, or in Jesus' day, it would have been a hard thing to call yourself a follower of Jesus, because just saying you're a follower of Jesus could cost you your reputation, it could cost you your job, it could cost you your loved ones, it could cost you your freedom, just saying you follow Jesus. But even though it was a hard thing to say, and it wasn't something people walked around saying as much, 
it was something that was easy to understand where the boundaries were to live this thing out. Because if you said you were a Christian, that meant something. And so it was something that was hard to say, but it was easier to live out. Now, in our culture, those two phrases have been reversed to where it's very easy to say that you're a Christian, but no one knows what that means. It's very confusing what being a follower of Jesus means in our day and age because we don't know, does that mean that they live this way, that way, they accept this, they accept that? What does that really mean when someone says they're a Christian? Because the latest pop star will get on the stage and thank their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but yet in their lyrics of their songs and in their lifestyle, it makes us scratch our heads. We can see someone say, oh, I thank God for this award that I just received who's on a grand stage, but yet they'll go and make a movie that has to do with, with perversion and sexuality and all sorts of things that make us go, I thought that person was, well, I don't really know what it means to be a Christian. And so it's easy to say in our day and age, but it's difficult to understand what being a follower of Christ means. There was not that issue in the day of Timothy, in the days of Paul. When someone said they were a Christian, that meant something. There was weight that was associated with that. And people were not wanting to be associated with Paul anymore because of his faith and his following Christ got him continually beaten and thrown in prison. At first, people thought it was cool to follow Paul because Paul was kind of a big deal. People wanted to hear Paul speak. They wanted to hear the wisdom that he would share with them and share the gospel and explore the Old Testament and how it all pointed to Jesus. And Paul would share these things with people regularly. But then when it started bringing suffering, when it started bringing persecution, when it started drawing hard lines and, and people began to go, oh, I don't know if I want to be a part of this anymore. Paul said, there's been a lot of people abandoned me. Matter of fact, in chapter 2, he named some people who were really close to him that abandoned him. He said, these folks just straight up abandoned me. They, they've left the faith because they don't want to be associated with me. And, and Paul told Timothy in the second chapter, if you'll remember, not to be ashamed of his chains. So in other words, he's saying, Timothy, I know I'm in chains right now. I know I'm in prison, and I know that it's not popular to be associated with me, but don't be ashamed of that because I'm not ashamed of these chains, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel for which these chains represent because it's the gospel that got me in this place. It's sharing the good news of Jesus that got me put in this prison in the first place, and, and I don't care. I'm not ashamed. Matter of fact, I'm thanking God for this because this is part of me suffering with Christ. And as followers of Christ, our walk and our talk has to line up. This portion of text that we read just blows my mind. It blows my mind because <laughs> Paul says, in the last days, there's going to be all these things. And he goes down this like crazy laundry list of like all these terrible sins that, that people are living out. You know, I mean, it, it's sexual immorality, it's disobedience to parents, there's brutality, there's, there's all sorts of malice. And just, he goes down this laundry list of just all these things that's happening. And then somehow in the midst of all of this sin, he says they still have a form of godliness. I don't understand how you have a form of godliness and yet have all of these sinful attributes that are just spewing out of that culture and out of that day to where they still have a form. They somehow have packaged all of their sin and all of their life in a form that would still want to appear godly, even though their heart and their, their, their motives are all doing all of these other things. It just blows my mind. And then he says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. They have a form, but there's no power behind the form. It's just the form. Their walk and their talk does not match up. 
They talk a good game. They talk about Jesus. They talk about how great he is. Or they may talk about, you know, sacrifice. They may sing songs. They may attend church services. But there's no power in their lives that's evident of the Spirit of God working on the inside of them because it's just all talk. There's no walk behind it. There's no conviction behind it. There's no passion. There's no abandonment to self. There's no presenting my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to a holy God. It's just a bunch of talk. He says they have a form of godliness, but no power. The word power in Greek is the word dunamis, and that word means might, powerful deeds, marvelous works, force. Basically, it's the life-changing power of God it's not present in their lives, but religious deeds are, trying to just do good, but yet still live all of these sinful ways. People can do good deeds without being transformed by the power of God. You know that? Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching this morning. People can do good deeds without being transformed by the power of God. You don't have to be a Christian to want to do a good deed. There are people that do good deeds, man. There's all sorts of things that we see that move us to tears that other people will do as acts of benevolence or generous things that we see people do that do not have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them. They do good deeds. They'll help their neighbor out. They'll donate money to some sort of cause. You see all sorts of people rise up and celebrities rise up when there's some natural disaster or where there's some terrible thing that has uh, stricken our nation or even over in the world where someone's have, had a tornado or an earthquake and all of these people rise up and do good things and you're like, wow, those people are doing good things. That doesn't mean that they are following Jesus. Because they still have the capacity to do good things because this is the way the world system works. And this is the way that someone who has a religious mindset thinks. They operate based off of this karma system. And they may not call it karma, or they may call it karma, but it's basically the idea of karma that says, if I do enough good then good things will happen to me. And that's what people think. Even people who don't know Christ, they have this basic understanding that if I do good, I'm somehow depositing all of my good deeds, my good efforts, my good works into some account that is going to pay dividends at some point in my life, and it's going to help me get out of the tough situations I may face. And they think that they just have to balance the scales of justice with the way they see themselves. So they look at themselves in the mirror and they say, I'm not that bad of a person. At least I'm doing more than my neighbor. At least I showed up. At least I had something to give. At least I volunteered my time. At least I did this or that. And they began to compare themselves to other people in order to justify their lives, their lifestyle. At least I'm not as bad as this person. My mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my neighbor, my cousin, my, my friend, my coworker, my boss. And we get into this comparison game because that's the way the world works. That's the world system is justification through good works. But folks, the Bible rails against this and Paul rails against this. He says, this is not how you're made right with God. Good works are not a pathway to God. Good works are a result of knowing God. 
So anything good that comes out of me immediately gives glory to God and not me because I'm not doing it to try to earn something from God because everything I need from God has already been given to me through Jesus Christ. Everything I need has already been bought and paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If I have Jesus, I need nothing else. The world doesn't understand this. The world thinks that I can have this form of godliness, that I can do all these good deeds, but there's no power there to transform a life. It doesn't matter how big of a check you write. It doesn't matter how many hours you donate. It doesn't matter what you do to try to balance the scales of justice in your favor. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. That's our way to try to justify ourselves. It's like filthy rags. And as a follower of Christ, our walk and our talk has to line up because my concern is like that of Paul, that we have learned church practice and we have gotten really good at being do-gooders, but we have not encountered the life-transforming power of God. We've gotten really good at learning what we should do and what we shouldn't do, and we want to learn the rules and we want to do this and we want to try to do it right and we want to try to do it better than someone else at least. And we compare ourselves, and it's the same trap that the world gets caught in, thinking that they can somehow be justified by their works. We think the same thing, and we miss out on the life-transforming power of the gospel through Jesus Christ, that He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life that no man comes to the Father except by Him. That my righteousness is as filthy rags and I need Jesus and He's the only one who can take my sin. And He did on the cross and He nailed that thing to the cross. And now what was once dead can be made alive through faith in Christ, through trusting in what Jesus did, not what I did. Not what I tried to do to show him how good I was to earn a trophy or a gold star by my name. But as a follower of Jesus, we have to understand the gospel and we have to see our need for Jesus because we are called to bear fruit. Let's keep on reading in chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings that happened to me at any at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Christ's followers are called to be different. We're called to be different. We're called to be set apart. We're called not to just be like everyone else in order to just try to fit in or gain some sort of social acceptance. No, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be different. And Paul set an example worth following. And he was telling Timothy, listen, I don't want you to forget why we're different. I don't want you to forget why it is that we do what we do as Christians. I don't want you to get this gospel of Jesus Christ, this pure gospel, mixed up with this thinking that somehow I can just do good and and try to be good and that I don't need the life-transforming power of Christ and have a form of godliness but yet still entertain all these things with my life. No, he said we're called to be different. Paul set an example of what different looked like, and he was reminding Timothy of what different looked like. And he was saying, listen, look back at my life 
look at my faith, my conduct, look at my patience, look at my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings. He includes sufferings with all of those other things as well. He says, listen, look at these things and look at how I've handled these situations. Look at how I've trusted God through these things. Not that Paul had been perfect, but he's saying, listen, follow me as I follow Christ. We're called to be different. Christ's followers will endure suffering because it's a part of following Jesus. We get this idea that if we follow Jesus that everything's just going to be a field of, of, of flowers and lilies and we're going to jump and dance and hold hands and sing kumbaya. And yeah, there are blessings attached to being a follower of Christ in this life, but probably not what we've come to think or believe blessings truly are. We have this idea that it's all about material wealth and things. That's what we immediately think. We think, oh, a blessing is a thing, and so I want a thing. I want to get the thing that God wants uh, me to have, and I'm going to chase the thing. Listen, folks, God is not interested in us just chasing after a bunch of things. He wants us to pursue Him. Jesus said in Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things would be added unto you. Jesus said that in this world you're going to have trials. He said, but don't worry, little children, I've overcome the world. Don't worry, don't fret, don't fear. 1 Peter 4.13 says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Here, Peter, he says, hey, let's rejoice when, when trials come, when suffering comes. He says, be happy about the fact that we're going to suffer for Christ because His glory will be revealed in us. A form of godliness only wants the religious appearance, but no suffering. They don't want any challenges. They don't want anything. They're like, sign me up for it if it's going to fix all of my problems and give me all the stuff I want. And we began to look at God as if He were Santa Claus. We began to look at God as if He's just waiting just to, just to give us everything and make our life super easy. Folks, listen, there's going to be trials in the world. Jesus said, but don't fret, don't fear, don't be afraid. He said, I've overcome them all. Jesus said that people are going to not like you and it's going to be my fault said there's going to be people, Christ is a stumbling block for certain people, and, and they just, they, they, they can't get past it. They're not willing to walk with you. And so what we've done is we've tried to figure out how easy we can make this following Jesus thing. We've dumbed it down to where we just keep taking things away from people that Jesus wants us to live with and wants us to hold fast to. And we keep taking them away and we keep throwing softballs and making it easier and making it easier, making it more palatable for people. Oh, oh, we're going to do everything we can to make it just super easy and super comfortable. And, and, and we want to, oh, the Bible doesn't really mean that. We're, we're, we're going to throw you a softball on that one. The, God doesn't really mean that. He doesn't really mean to, to, to leave everything to follow Him, to abandon it. Oh, let's, let, let, let's throw a softball in that category or in this area. It doesn't really mean to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Just the, just the stuff that, you know, you don't mind being a sacrifice with. But the stuff that you want to hang on to in your life before Christ, hang on to it. It's cool. And that's the gospel we present to people. Because we think if we just do enough, then we can keep all this other. We think we can keep all the stuff that, 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 that what we don't realize is just a form of godliness, but no power. All these things that Paul's talking about, he said, listen, this is why we're different. We're different because he wants us to be a part of him. He wants, he wants himself to be glorified in us and through us to where he becomes our main focus and our main desire and nothing else matters. 
And we can say those things and we can sing those things because we know they're true and we know that they're right, but living those things is different. Because our talk and our walk, it has to match up. I've been really challenged lately with what am I being challenged in? <laughs> oh, that sounds weird. God has been challenging me lately to evaluate that word challenge. And how am I challenged? Because if, if I'm supposed to pre present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, it's my reasonable act of worship is what Paul said in Romans 12 and 1. If I'm supposed to present my body as a living sacrifice, a sacrifice is just that. It's a sacrifice. And guess what? A sacrifice means something's going to have to die. Sacrifice means I have to give something up. There, it's challenging. If it's not challenging, it's not really a sacrifice. If I want to go do something, you know, if someone asks me to go help them do something, and I, I have plenty of time, it's not a big deal, I wasn't doing anything anyways, you want me to go help you, you know, with your yard, or you want me to go help you paint your house or whatever, I've got time, I've got margin, and I want to because I want to be there. Hey, that's not a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice when I had other things I wanted to do that I would rather do that were already in the way, and then you ask me, and I go, hmm. And then I still go, okay, I'll do it anyways, even though I would rather do this. Even though I'd rather lay around on the couch today. Even though I would rather stay at home. Even though I may have already had other plans. I'll willingly inconvenience myself because of my love for you, my care for you. That's a sacrifice. And if I'm supposed to present my body as a living sacrifice, that means God wants me to be challenged. He wants me to be stretched. He wants me to willingly say, yes, Lord, not my will, but your will. And I've gotten to the point, I'm just going to be real honest with you, to where there's certain areas in my life that I've gotten really comfortable with God. I've gotten comfortable with Him in my financial giving. I've gotten comfortable with Him in the way I use my time. I've gotten comfortable with Him in the way that I spend time in His Word, in the way I share my faith. I've gotten really comfortable, and I've made little spaces in my life to where I can just do it and know that it's done, and it's all good. And I just kind of kick my feet up knowing I'm doing good. And I'm not challenged. And I'm asking the Lord, my Christianity has become comfortable, and I'm saying, Lord, what challenge are you wanting me to be faced with? What are you wanting to stretch me in? And I'm asking the Lord that daily, because I'm saying, God, how do I present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable? Not where I'm just comfortable, not where it's just easy, not where I put plenty of time and, and margin in, in my bank account and in my schedule and, and with the things that you bless me with that I just, I'm able to just freely do whatever. No, Lord, what are you requiring of me today? What are you asking me? Because I want, I don't know about you, but I want my walk to match up with my talk. I don't want to have a form of godliness and no power. I don't want to be one of these people that just walks through life and just gets comfortable in Christianity and compares myself to other people and go, well, at least I'm doing better than so-and-so. I don't want to be that person. Jesus called the disciples to radical abandonment, to abandon their, their, their selfish ambition, 
And it's almost like it's easy to, to abandon your selfish ambition when you're in church and with, you're with other church people and like-minded people who will encourage you and, and who will challenge you and who will stretch you and, and who will, will help you to work through whatever God is dealing with your heart about where you can sit down and talk to them and you can tell them, hey, God's challenging me in this. And he's like, yeah, he's challenging me too. And you get all excited and there's camaraderie there. But then when you leave those environments, when you leave church, when you leave hanging out with Christian friends that will challenge you and it's just you and you get back into the routine and you get back into the ebb and flow of life and you get back into the same old same old then all of a sudden you go I'm doing pretty good and it's so easy it's so easy it's so easy to allow pride to set in and it's so subtle and so sneaky you guys that when pride comes in, it just, it just kind of slides in and says, you're doing enough. You've given Jesus enough. You volunteer more than anybody else. You probably give more than anybody else. You probably serve more than anybody else. You're probably the only person at work that's not messing around on their spouse or uh, you're probably the only person at work that's not looking at pornography. You know, you're probably the only person at work that is reading their Bible. You're doing good. And so you go, huh, I'm doing good. And you just stay there and you don't grow because you just hang out. And, and Paul was saying, Timothy, you need to follow my example, man. And you're going to make decisions that are going to lead you to an intentional place that's going to cause an amount of suffering in your life, but it's going to be for the glory of God. See, we want others to think we're living for God and we want comfort. We prioritize comfort and pleasure above sacrificial living because, hey, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't prioritize pleasure and comfort above sacrificial living? When's the last time that we've done something that really challenged us for God? I mean, really challenge you. I mean, when's the last time we've actually done something for the Lord where we felt like He's really tugging on my heart to do something? Whether it's wake up early in the morning and spend time on your face before the Lord interceding and praying for someone that maybe you've never even met. But we like our comfort. We like our sleep. We pick our sleep number on our bed and we just pass back out. And we have all this luxury and we have all this comfort and we just, we just want all this stuff and we're just like, yeah. And what about the challenge? If my, my body is supposed to be a living sacrifice, where's the challenge at? Where, where's that part where I'm saying, yes, Lord, I'm willing to go through this. I'm willing to do without. I'm willing to give you everything. We prioritize comfort and pleasure above sacrificial living, but sacrificial living is giving up what you love for what you love even more. Oh, I'm going to say that again. I don't even care if it's on the screen. Sacrificial living is giving up what you love for what you love even more. That's what sacrificial living is. Because we love stuff, man. And, and you know, it, it's not always bad stuff. We got to get over this thing of, uh, you know, oh, well, it's, it's always these super sinful things. Something that's not sinful can become sinful if you love it more than God. 
That's called idolatry. As a matter of fact, it's the very first thing that God said to the children of Israel when He dictated the Ten Commandments on those tablets of stone right there with Moses where He said, you shouldn't have any other gods before me. It's not how this works. I get to be number one because He's the only one worth being number one. Amen? And so if He's first place, if He's above all other gods, and I don't need to craft for myself little idols out of the things that I may love more than God because they bring me comfort and pleasure. It's God. It's being a follower of Jesus. And it's hard to hear this message, and it's hard to think about these things, and it should be. And that's good. Because sometimes we run away from hard things too much. We run away from difficulty too much, and we run away from suffering too much because we don't like it. When indeed, sometimes God can use that to work out selfishness out of us for His glory, for our good, so that our lives can further be committed to Him, so that we can even more say, yes, Lord, I'm putting you in your proper place to where I'm not putting other gods above you or for you because you are everything. You see, sacrificial living is when you give up what you love for what you love even more. <clears throat> You'll be persecuted for sacrificial living. People, <clears throat> people won't understand your priorities when you start living sacrificially. When you start spending your time differently, when you start investing finances differently, when you start doing things out of the ordinary that people look at you and they're like, oh, what are they doing? Are they like on some sort of like Jesus high right now? Is that why they're waking up early and getting in the Word every morning? Even spouses will criticize spouses, and we've got to be careful of that. Oh, they're just on some Jesus high, you know. It'll, it'll die down. I've seen this before. You see, because when you start living sacrificially, people criticize you because they don't understand. They, they don't get it. They, they don't understand. And so you have to choose how you're going to respond in those times, especially if you're married. And maybe, maybe this is something that we really need to kind of camp out on for a minute. Because if you're married and God's calling you to a place where he's dealing with you and, and your spouse hasn't responded or hasn't received that message and God's calling you deeper, you just need to go where God wants you to go and you've got to trust God. You can't convince them or beat them over the head to come along. You've, you've got to trust God. And you've got to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to serve you the way you want me to serve and I'm going to live for you the way you want me to live for you. And yeah, you might be criticized because you're not staying up late watching the TV program you used to watch together before you go to bed because you're so hungry for the Lord that you just want to talk about Him or spend time with Him or that you want to spend your time differently than you've spent it before or that all of a sudden God tugs at your heart and begins to move you in a direction to where He wants you to do something at, at church or maybe with a, uh, an organization where you give of your time or you give of your treasure and God's just tugging at you, and it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I know that you were saving that money for a rainy day, but God put something on your heart. And He wants you to do something for Him with that. He wants you to bless somebody else or to help somebody else or to do something for someone else, and it's sacrificial living. I, I know you worked hard for it. I get it. I know that you worked hard. I know that you, you had intentions and you had plans and you were thinking about that thing you were going to buy or that thing you were going to do, but God stepped in and said, what are you sacrificing? What are you giving up? Do you love, do you love me more than this? Let's keep reading verse 14. 
Paul says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned, what you've firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In verse 15, Paul acknowledges something interesting. He says, and from in childhood, how you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, and they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And he's talking about Old Testament writings because they didn't have New Testament writings there. So he wasn't referencing, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John that told the story of Jesus. No, he's referencing the Old Testament, which doesn't really name Jesus specifically, but points to Jesus in every single way. And he says, through those Old Testament writings that you have become acquainted with, you should be able to see Christ. If you are someone who knows Him, who your eyes have been opened to see Him, you should be able to see Christ. So keep Christ at the center. Keep Him at the focus. He should be able to see all throughout the Old Testament how it leads to Jesus because a true biblical faith will trust in Jesus. He said, keep this in front of you. And remember, all Scripture is breathed by God. It's breathed out by God. Scripture is God's exhale God, God's breath, His very breath, and, 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 and we need to never, ever, ever, ever lose the, 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 the sacredness of approaching the Scriptures or talking to God. The other night we were having our regular prayer time. Uh, we were having floor times, what we call it at our house, where uh, my kids and I and my wife, we sit down on the, on the floor upstairs before everyone goes to bed, and we spend some time in prayer, and we ask, you know, does anyone have anything to pray about? And we give everyone instructions of kind of what's happening the next day so everyone will, you know, know what we're doing. And um, when we were praying, my kids, they all just kind of were laying down, you know, on the floor. Like, all right, you know, let's, let's do this, you know. It's bedtime, right? Let's, let's move along, Dad. And, and, and if you... You may or may not know me real well, but I don't think it'll take you very long to figure out that I could be lengthy, you know? <laughs> you guys laughed a little too hard <laughs> at that. You don't know me. No, um, oh, you know me. I can be a little lengthy. So my kids are laying down on the floor, and we're about to pray, and they're, they're getting, you know, just comfortable and casual. And I just got like overwhelmed with this sense of just holiness for the Lord. And I said, guys, I said, get off the floor. I said, and let's get on our knees. I said, because we don't need to get too casual with God, lest we forget that we are talking to the God who spoke into nothing and everything was formed. Let us not forget when we worship the Lord together as a church family, as believers, followers of Jesus, that this is not Christian entertainment, that this is not Christian performance, that this is us singing praises to the God of the universe who spoke into nothing and everything was formed. Let us never forget the sacredness of that. Let us never forget that this word that we are reading was God's breath, breathed, God breathed. 
and Paul says it's profitable for correction, for instruction, all these things that, that, that God desires for us. We can see His heart in His Word. We can see the very nature of God in His Word. Let us not just casually take this Word so lightly because we may be so comfortable. And, and I'll tell you, this is what's crazy. Have you ever, have you ever uh, been working hard somewhere and there's nothing to eat in the house? And I mean, you've been sweating all day. I'm talking about like really working and you're really hungry and you want something to eat and you're just like starving because you've been working hard, sweating, you're exhausted, you're gross, you're nasty. I mean, you've been working in the yard and, and it's finally time to go get something to eat. There's nothing to eat in the house. So you just go to a restaurant and it doesn't really matter at that point what restaurant it is. Because you're like, I don't care. And you go and you're like, this is the best 99-cent McDonald's burger I've ever eaten in my life. And you, it, it goes to a whole new level because you've done without. And you're so hungry and you're so desperate that something that normally wouldn't be that good to you all of a sudden becomes good. Folks, when we get too casual with God, we forget that He is holy. We forget how good He really is. And we forget, therefore, we just casually approach God instead of going, oh my goodness, I get to talk to God. I get to read the Bible. Have you ever seen videos of people in third world countries that it is illegal to have Scripture it's illegal to possess Scripture and actually own a Bible. If you're found owning a Bible, you'll be thrown in jail just for owning a Bible. Have you seen videos of those people when they would hold a page of the Bible? I've seen these. Look it up on YouTube. Look up, look up uh, uh, people over in China when, when they get a shipment of Bibles in the secret underground church. They, they got a shipment of Bibles in that are in Chinese, and these people are weeping and crying and holding on to this Word, and they are looking at it, and they are reading it, and they are rejoicing, and we just casually go to the Christian bookstore, and oh, nobody does that. You go on Amazon and just click buy now, and it's here two days later. And that's the world we live in. But the world they live in, they're clinging to Scripture. I saw a video one time of someone in a third world country that they only had a few pages of the Bible and they were passing them around as they were crying and weeping because they were getting to read the Holy Word of God. We need to return to a true biblical faith, a, a faith that really understands that this is not about us, but it's about Him. A faith that we're living our lives as a a living sacrifice, that we are willing to say, Lord, yes, I will intentionally be inconvenienced for you, just like Paul was willing to be in those chains. Lord, what, what, do you want, what do you want me to do? Because a true biblical faith is not just being a person who has a form of godliness but has no power, but a true biblical faith is a personal relationship with Jesus, doctrinal integrity, and a lifestyle of Christ-likeness. That's what true biblical faith is. It's someone who has a personal relationship with Jesus and knows what they believe and why they believe it, and then they live it out. That's what a true biblical faith is. And that's what we should all be striving to continue to grow in. That's our goal, is to continue to grow in Christ-likeness, and it's all for the glory of God. It's not so that we can go, oh, look at me and look at how smart I am and look at how good my doctrine is. Oh, look at, look at me and look at what I can do. No, it's look at Him. It's not less of me, more of Him. It's none of me, all of Him. I'm going to say that again because some of you didn't catch that. We have this idea, oh, less of me, Lord. No, it's like none of me, all of you. 
all of you, Jesus, because he's worth it. A personal relationship with Jesus where I get out of God's way. And I say, Lord, have your way. I don't, I, I don't want to be this person that's always interjecting my, my selfishness into the equation. Lord, help me to just live for you and let people see Jesus in me. And that only comes through a relationship. And then we have to be people that dive into Scripture and know what we believe. And listen, you need to get what you believe and why you believe it from the Bible. Not your favorite teacher, but from God's Word. Amen? Because teachers can get off. People can write stuff that's not true, say stuff in a moment that maybe is not inspired. That's why I always pray, Lord, help me to only say the things you want me to say. Because James 3 and 1 says that don't go out and desire to be a teacher because don't you know that teachers will endure a stricter judgment because they're people that are saying, hey, this is what the Bible says. This is what God's saying. Ah! I somehow survived that weekly. I somehow survived the event. I'm serious. I somehow survived the event of teaching the Holy Word of God, and it's only by His grace that I'm sustained through that. Because I know that there have been times in my life where I didn't have full understanding of things, and I still don't have full understanding. I'm like Paul. I, I see through a, through a glass dimly. I, I just see a little bit here. And what I do see is that, that, that I want to make sure I'm living the way that God wants me to live, and I'm pursuing Him with a passion. And I, like Paul, just want to get a hold of the thing that's gotten a hold of me. So I'm leaving everything behind. I'm, I'm casting off the weights that used to beset me so easily, and I'm pressing forward to the prize. I'm, I'm pressing forward. I'm running this race. I'm living for the Lord, investing in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, investing in knowing what I believe and why I believe it, because I want to be a person of doctrinal integrity, and I want to live it out. Because a follower of Christ has to have their walk match up with their talk. Otherwise, we just have a form and no power. And the world's not interested in a form. They've seen the form. They call it hypocrisy, and rightfully so, because it is hypocrisy when we just have a form and no power. But the power of God is what transforms life. The power of God is what breaks the chains. The power of God is His love demonstrated in us, to us, and through us. The power of God is when His people are radically changed and are radically devoted to following Him. We're going to wrap up our series next week going through 2 Timothy. And I pray that this series has challenged you and it has stretched you. And I hope that it's challenged you and stretched you beyond Sunday morning because if the challenging and stretching stops here, that's not good enough. The challenging and the stretching has to turn into obedience. Because the challenging and stretching will eventually go away if you continue to ignore the voice of the Lord and the Holy Spirit and what He's trying to do. It's called getting callous in your heart, hardening your heart to the Lord. But if when you're in this softened state before the Lord, when the Holy Spirit's at work trying to speak to your heart, if you'll submit to that and go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? I, it's uncomfortable. It's challenging. I don't like it necessarily. There's a lot of things I'd rather do, but okay, Lord, not my will, but your will. Everyone else may not understand, but it's this true biblical faith. It's understanding why we're different. 
It's being that person that's following Jesus. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.